0: What's up, everyone? It's the Annie Up podcast here on the Sawdust Podcast Network. I'm Adam Ronis from Fantasy Alarm. And joining me now, someone I love to talk sports with, betting, even life. Hung out with him at his Greenwich Street Tavern Bar this summer, along with Lisa Ann. And we just chatted for hours. It is Chris Vicaro. He's an NFFC Hall of Famer, also writes for The Athletic and a very good high stakes player. Chris, what's going on?
1: Ronis what is
0: up my man it is
1: full swing fantasy season right now these couple weeks hot and heavy every night and uh, I'm ready to talk some shop with you get into it.
0: Yeah definitely we drafted against each other a couple weeks ago in the uh, GST league and you had picked two I had picked three and I said so this is what it's like to draft against yourself because I felt like you were (laughs) taking the players that I like uh, sniping me left and right and I knew once I saw the random draft order generator put out. I was like, oh, man, this is going to be tough.
1: Yeah, and right back at you because it's not fun. I learned the hard way drafting right next to you. Uh, and you were taking my guys. I was taking your guys. And uh, it was uh, it was a cut by a thousand knives.
0: Yeah, sure, for sure it was. And uh, then you have to do this in the high stakes format where pretty much everyone is a great player. I'm sure there's probably some people in there just because mm-hmm. they put up money are not that good. I'm not asking you to call them out. Hundred percent, but it is true, right? I mean, you, you uh, played enough. No, it's totally true, and I
1: think that's a you know a myth with high stakes. People get scared away from that term high stakes. Oh my God, we'll walk into a room, everyone's going to be a savage, and it's not. You know, there's like you said, uh, I'll fully admit it. They're awesome. To, I was in a, a high stakes draft main event last night where two guys out of the twelve were dead money. Their builds were terrible, uh, just dragging people up, you know, multiple rounds, injured players. Just, you know, you could just see they were very unprepared and they were probably just two guys that, you know, had, uh, you know, have deep pockets and uh, want to do it for fun. And hey, that's their that's their right. But as high stakes players, that's why we try and, you know, choose what leagues we get into. It's, you know, it's it's fun to go into these live drafts and sit around the the table and, and put Your money where your mouth is and compete against the best guys in this industry. But it's also nice to sit back and get into a soft league here and there and uh, have some value fall to you. And, um, you know, that happens in the high stakes world. There's no doubt about it. But that's why you look around for certain names and you know, all right, this is
0: going to be a battle. And this might be a little soft. I might catch some breaks here. What happened with that Team 12 that you felt like they just – ruin their team like what are some of the mistakes i think this is good for people mm-hmm. who might want to jump into the high stakes arena listening that never did you know because it can be maybe intimidating for people like anything in life right it's unlikely right. that you're going to go into a high stakes league for the first time come out and dominate it's possible but anything in life that you do you kind of need some experience so what did this specific team do wrong in your eyes off the top of my head I, I
1: um he drafted uh in the first 9 rounds seven running backs
0: oh my god i get right.
1: <laughs> and, and and it was i mean it was complete amateur hour and and sure the running back value you know dried up a little bit but it wasn't even like they were stud after stud it was just you know once you got to the turn in the in the uh the 4th 5th round where he was at he went double running back again after having three and it was like all right you know, you just put your fourth running back on the bench and then you follow it up with your fifth running back. He's on your bench. You had one receiver at the time. Uh, his second receiver, I believe, was Michael Thomas, who's out for six, six weeks down the road. Um, you know, it was just a complete mess, Adam. And you're not going to see that a lot, honestly, in the high stakes market, but you will catch one here and there. But the build wise, you know, at the end of his draft, I think he yeah, had like nine running backs. Well, I mean, what are you going to do? Listen, we all want running back depth. But, um, you know, when you when you have some decent ones as you're your five, six, seven, you know, you you got to sit at you got to sit on them most weeks on your bench. Had no wide receiver depth, waited on quarterback. And, um, you know, a second pass catcher was a, a decent tight end. But, you know nothing at the wide receiver position he had so he's he's up against it and that's what I like to call uh dead money
0: I remember high stakes leagues you cannot make trades even in a home league that's not ideal to do that but you can say well I can trade these running backs you never want to draft with the intention to trade anyway cuz you put yourself in a deep hole but in this format the NFFC you cannot make trades so And I feel, I've said this for a while, and I don't know if you agree, you probably follow a lot of analysts out there and see the stuff on social media, but I think one of the things that is really lacking is roster construction. People can analyze players, they give great insight, spew off all these stats, but even when I'm in leagues in the industry, I immediately look at roster build. That's one of the most important things to me, how you construct your roster. And I see a lot of people just don't know how to do it correctly. I mean, I wish I could just bottle up what you just said
1: and and send it out to the the masses a million times. Like, that's what I preach. Uh, You know, to me in this industry, you know, you could be a talking head and have your radio, you know, positions and whatever like that. But and you can analyze and break down a player. But if you can't get into a draft room and a draft table, sit down and know. How to build a, a a team and build a roster and know when to you know when to hit different positions and, and stuff like that. It's all for nothing. So yeah, there's there's people that should just talk it, and then there's people that can just play it, and then there's people such as yourself, Adam. I I always give you the credit. I I think you're the best at it. That's an analyst and a radio personality, but also can put his money where his mouth is and and play the game at a high level. So, you know, credit to you. There are others, no doubt about it. But I just don't like when, you know, fantasy analysts come out and then they tell you how to win. Like, no, 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 no. Show me that you can prove that you can win leagues, big leagues, and stuff like that, and then show me how you're doing it. Just don't go out there and build terrible rosters and then, you you know, preach something else. So. Uh, I'm very high on that in, in terms of uh, fan, fantasy analyst.
0: Yeah, and it's also a reason why I don't like compiling like a top 200, top 300 list because I don't want someone taking that list and go, all right, well, I'm just going to take the names in the order, cross off names. Oh, well, who who's the highest player left? 48. All right, I'm going to take him. Right. You're not looking at your team and how to build it. So I'm, I'm blessed that Fantasy Alarm doesn't force me to do that list. I know some other places they want you to do it. Mm-hmm. I think it, it's useless to me. Because how am I supposed to, I mean, and I'm sure you agree. So how do you, when you're in a draft, what is your plan? What do you have in front of you? Do you have your own rankings? Is it tiers? Is it by position? Is it top? I'm assuming it's not top 200 because you just agree with me. So what's your, what's your, when you sit down at the draft table, what's in front of you? Well, I
1: mean, I have my rankings list in like engraved in my brain. So it's, it's a sickness. Uh, I know you can relate to that, but um, you know, I, I have my sheet. I, I have everybody in order. I, I always sit down uh, before any draft and um you know, map out my 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 plan of what I'm expect you know what targets I have at certain picks. But we all know that when a draft starts, things get a little crazy. and you know you have to adjust. But that's why you prep all summer long. That's why you you know you 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 hammer this home over and over and over again because, You can't be in a situation where you haven't seen it before or played it out in your brain. You know, you might get in a draft one night and it's a heavy wide receiver room early. You know, okay, well, if I'm coming, if I'm going with this, you know, momentum of all heavy receivers, then I got to be hitting on and and be on the lookout for my running backs that I have that aren't going to be the top tier running backs. But in those fifth, sixth, seventh rounds, those are the guys I might have to make a, a move to move up a little bit. And then vice versa, you know, if it's a heavy running back. So you have to read the room a little bit um, and just
0: know where you're where you're at in in each draft. So I know you have a lot of drafts coming up this weekend uh, in New York City for the NFFC. Uh, How many different leagues, how many drafts, doing any auctions? What's the plan for this weekend?
1: Yeah, it's the great it's a great weekend here live in in New York City. Uh, Everybody comes in. Uh, my Friday is pretty stacked. I have uh, the uh, fourteen hundred dollar auction, twelve team auction at eleven in the morning, followed up by the super auction, twenty five hundred, at two p.m. So that's about uh, seven straight hours of being in an auction room, which uh, you know it'll test your. Uh, Why do you do that to yourself, man? It, it, like- it'll it really test you, Adam, to to concentrate because you know, in an auction, you can't fall asleep for 20 seconds. No, you got to stay focused. And you know, there are multiple people that are doing both of them back to back and people will be worn out. You speak to anybody and we do this year after year. A lot of us, uh, you know, that go back to back auctions and it's draining. It it really is. You got to stay focused, but I love it. I love the auctions. Um, so yeah, that's back to back four hours each pretty much. And then, uh, Get ready for the uh, the big New York Super that you'll be, uh, I believe, hosting, right?
0: Yeah, I'll be broadcasting with uh, Lindsay Rhodes, Michael Fabiano on SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio. That'll be Friday night. Uh, you guys will be listening to this podcast, hopefully on Thursday when it comes out. Uh, yeah. But Friday night, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, we will uh, be covering that yeah so check that out for everybody listening uh, uh
1: you know give a listen to that uh that is when i tell you guys that at home that's my hardest league i play in a ton of leagues that is my main event uh, of leagues right there uh, i play in some that it might be a, more money but in terms of competition it's just 12 savages at the table the best of the best around um fellow high stakes hall of famers Fellow players that should be in the Hall of Fame that have won well over five hundred thousand in this market are just absolute beasts. So it's a challenging draft, and uh, the one I look forward to the most. But afterwards, it might I might say a different story. And then that fu- that's followed up Saturday by uh, you know another full uh, day of of live drafts in New York City. So it's a great two day span for a junkie like me that needs uh, you know drafts uh, all, all
0: day every day. I, two auctions back to back, man. That is insane, man. That is that is like a grueling process. I mean, do you wake up early, have a good meal, have a lot of coffee? Like, what do you do to to get through it? Up early. And yeah, I
1: mean, I, it's it's tough. It's like Christmas morning. You know what, Adam, you understand that it. It's Christmas morning for an adult like us. You know, like we love this stuff so much. We analyze it. We go over it in our brains these, you know, multiple weeks of of right before the season starts. Uh, I'll be up early. Yeah. I'll get my, uh, my large coffee with two espresso shots in it, get into the city, uh, and get ready to go to war. Uh, you know, it's a battle and you got to stay focused. Like I said, but I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't trade these two days in for any other two days during the year.
0: What's your general strategy when it comes to auctions? Do you have like, I know I've seen you do it in baseball. where you'll have players set up at a different position with a price point. Football mm-hmm. obviously different, less positions. But what is your general plan when it comes to auctions?
1: Well, once I, you know, I'll, I'll exactly, I'll, I'll tear off each guy. Um, I, I think it's important. You know, you have to have multiple backups. You know, so let's let's just say that I want my wide receiver one. Uh, you know, priced out for say thirty dollars. Just say I'm throwing fake prices and, and tears out. And it's that third, it's that second tier of wide receivers this year that when you get to that, you know, third round, the Allen Robinson, Terry McLaurin, CD Lambs, Keenan Allens. Well, let's just say that I have my my target right there is Allen Robinson for 30. I want him as my wide receiver one. Well, I'll have it tiered out where my backup to that is CD Lamb. My backup to that is Terry McLaurin. So I'll have that all mapped out where if I. Fallon Robinson might go for over budget. Well, now I'm hitting on the Lambs and the McLaurins and stuff like that. Uh, so I have everything tiered out. I go in with in my head what I plan. I I, I won't usually go where, um, you know, I'm in an auction and I'm like, all right, uh, it's, I, I have 110, $110 planned for my running backs. My receivers are going to be a total of 75 total of 185 and that $15 is, is mapped out for you know, two quarterbacks, two tight ends, a dollar defense and a dollar kicker. Just say, well, I won't jump and go, oh, you know, Patrick Mahomes, $24. I like that price and and take it and then throw my whole, you know, game plan off. And if I do do that, which is very rare for me to, you know, d- diversify on the fly like that. Well, then I'm I know that my wide receiver three or my, you know, wide receiver two. I'm I'm skipping that wide receiver two line and that particular team will just have my wide receiver one price and then two guys from my wide receiver three price range. And I'll take that money and put it in there if that makes sense to you, know, if that makes sense to you.
0: Oh, yeah, no doubt. Um, I know you generally I mean, every draft is different. You usually like to get an elite quarterback. What about in an auction? Are you looking up? pay up? I mean, obviously the prices are different and we know the low end quarterbacks tend to go cheaper, but Mm -hmm. are you, are you still looking or aiming for that top six quarterback? I find it hard.
1: Well, when we say top six, you know, the Mahomes and the Allens this year are going to cost you, you know, more than I think, you know, like, uh, you know, the Dax, uh, the Dak and Lamar Jackson's of the world, you could save an extra, you know, six, seven, eight bucks on those guys. I find it harder in auctions, honestly, Adam, to to spend up on, on the uh, you know, the elite quarterbacks, uh, like you know, like Mahomes, just because it it will make you weaker. You're gonna need that money to to pump into receivers. If the receiver prices or running back prices, which they usually do, start getting a little higher and out of control, you don't wanna price yourself out uh, of good depth at those uh positions. So uh it's it's not usually my, my uh my thing to, to spend uh, the money up on, on quarterback.
0: What is your process as far as nominating players in the auction? You know, some people will say, mm-hmm. well, I put players out there that I don't want, but there is a strategy to doing it. Cause totally. I noticed Yeah. I noticed an auction that was done uh, recently and I saw the high price wide receivers were going well under the top tier running backs. And if I'm in that auction immediately, I would say, all right, I'm throwing out, Tyreek Hill right now, because I'm going to get him at a Mm -hmm. cheaper value. So what is your process when you're nominating players?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, one of the things I make sure I do, you never want to throw out a player with no reasoning behind it just to get the money off the table. You know, you want to have, let's go, let's go right back to what I was just explaining with that tier of wide receivers. Let's say now flip it around. Let's say I hate Allen Robinson but I know he goes right there and I want to target those other couple receivers. You know, I, I just say, I love Keenan Allen, but I hate Allen Robinson. Well, you know, I'm going to throw out Allen Robinson just to get a gauge on what the price is right there. You know, maybe I want to say, is he going for 26? Is he going for 35? Where does everybody value this? Throw him out, let the people bid on him. And then if I like the price, well, next time around, well, I'm, I'll am i throw out Keenan Allen, try and get him. All right, okay, Robinson went for 28, and he goes a couple picks before Keenan Allen. So this is a good time to maybe get Keenan Allen for that 26, 27, and then flip it around, vice versa. Um, so you never want to throw out the prices, uh, you, uh, just players for no reason at all. Each person you nominate, there should be a reasoning behind it.
0: One of my mistakes I found in the past in auctions is sometimes I sit on my money too long. I just have Mm -hmm. this tendency to not buy early and I'm not doing it to have the hammer and like, oh, I can get who I want. I think some people do have that philosophy. So that's something I've had to overcome. Like, how do you get past that? I mean, because some people are shy to spend early. You see it in every auction. If you follow the board, you always see someone sitting there with a lot and it usually I don't have the patience that you. Yeah, I don't have the patience
1: uh, just like you don't, Adam. I, I really I always find it hard to sit back. You know, sometimes you get lucky and the players that are coming out of everybody's mouth early on in the draft just aren't your guys and you don't want to do it. But you still, you know, you still want to stay active. You never want to be the guy that just opens your mouth and bids on players you want. Sharp players will pay attention to that and and, and hear that and and know that, okay that guy hasn't opened his mouth in a half hour, but now he's he's involved in this player. He must really want him. So, you know, when somebody throws out the McCaffrey for 20 to start the the league, you know, just because maybe they don't want him, they want to get a lot of money. Well, open your mouth. Hey, 34, you know, throw it out there. Even if you don't want him, you know, he's not going for 34, but start, you know, throw out your bids here and there. Don't don't pull it too close to the, you know, to to, to your sleeve when, um, you know, the number, you know, is going to get a little closer and you don't want to wind up with that guy because you'll see that happen in every auction where, you know, see McCaffrey 58 and then somebody's like, yeah, 59, expecting it to go to 65. And then the room freezes and now you just threw everything off and you, yeah, maybe you saved a couple bucks on McCaffrey, but you didn't want them, you know, um, stuff like that yeah, uh, I, I like I said, I'm not that patient when it, it comes to it, but you never want to uh, you never want to be holding the bag at the end and and watch a whole tier dry up or be the last guy, you know, that there's four guys in a tier and you're battling for that fourth guy along with everyone else on the tier, and you just kill yourself shoot yourself in the foot because everybody else had the same plan you did. They wanted one of those receivers in that tier. And now you all have to spend up an extra four five, six bucks because you don't want to leave that tier without, you know, uh, that particular player, that last and, player.
0: And we see it in every auction. You could just if you're not part of it and you just watch the draft board at the end and you look at the price you're like, wow, how'd this guy go for 18? Right. Well, that is exactly why how you just explained it. He was like mm-hmm. the last guy left. People had money and they're all spending up. And it's like the worst spot to be in because you feel mm-hmm. like. Wow. I just wasted so much money. What do you are you into price enforcing? Is that something you do or you're saying to yourself, look, I'm not going to bid another dollar unless I really want this player on my team? Uh,
1: No, I'll go. I'll go the extra couple bucks if that's what, you know, in my brain makes the team complete. You know, I, I won't go crazy where it's like, oh, I'm just getting this guy no matter what. And then he goes for $10 higher. And I'm like, oh man, I really screwed myself. That was a bad price on that player. But it's tough, Adam, it really is. The auctions are tough, You no know, matter, you know, we know, we know the pros and the cons of, of the auction, but you still wind up getting stuck sometimes, you know? It's tough to pay attention to every team at the table and then know, okay, you know, there's that one receiver left in that tier, and that guy definitely needs him. That guy, you see certain team builds, and you're like, okay, he's got to be targeting that last receiver in the second, you know, tier because he doesn't have a big number one, and he's not spending up big on running backs. That's got to be his guy that he's waiting gets thrown out, uh, and and it's tough, but that's why you have to have plan after plan after plan. It if if that price gets you know, too high on that second tier of receivers that we're using as an example here. Well, maybe it's time to just say, okay, I have to be, you know, I I have to be cautious here and then just get another receiver out of that third tier that I have planned out. You know, maybe it's not going to take one twenty five dollar receiver. Maybe I'm going to have to build this auction team with three twelve dollar receivers that I really like and let it go from there so you know you got to be paying attention and you got to be able to adjust on the fly even more in auctions than in snake drafts do you prefer doing auctions or snakes it's a great question uh it, it was always snakes but man i am obsessed with the auctions i really love them um you know just because you can put together the team you could take your favorite uh player from each round, or if you love two running backs that are in the second round, and that's impossible to usually get, you know, you can go and get both of those guys and put them on one team. So build wise auctions, uh, you know, I like, but there's nothing, you know, there's certain rush of sitting down at a snake draft, high stakes table, and the picks are coming to you four more players left, three more players before me, two more players. And that rush of, oh, my God, I got this one guy that would make this team a monster and I need him. And he's, you know, he should have went around to go. Am I going to get him? Am I going to get him? And then you get, you know, either you get him or you get sniped and it's like you just got shot, you know. So it's uh, it's tough. But, uh, you know, both of them have their, uh, you know,
0: special place in my heart, we'll say. All right, we're going to pay some bills, then come back and talk more high-stakes draft and strategy with Chris Vaccaro. Joined by Chris Vaccaro today here on the Andy Up podcast. And Chris, uh, you did a big draft last night. What was the format, uh, buy-in, and tell us a little bit about how that went.
1: Yeah, so it's a NFFC main event. It's main event season across the board. FFPC, NFFC, whatever high stakes level uh, contest you you want to play. But it is main event season these couple weeks. Uh, it's a seventeen hundred dollar buy in. Uh, it's for uh, it's for the big one. It's for the two hundred k. And uh, it was my first main event of the season. One of about uh, well, I'll leave that. I'll let I'll I'll let you guys figure that out. But, um, you know, it was my first one and um, I had the third overall pick in the draft and uh, I I went to battle
0: with that. So three has been a tricky spot for a lot of people this year. I mean, some people Mm -hmm. have now put Alvin Kamara there because Winston is starting. Uh, Where'd you go at three and was it a tough decision? Uh, Yeah, I
1: went uh, Ezekiel Elliott very high on him this year adam um you know the the top two spots are locked in on the board which makes like you said the third spot very unappealing to uh, most drafters i know a lot of people i speak to say hey my kds when i send it up which is kentucky derby style for those listening at home you get to kind of uh, you know put where you want to draft and hopefully you get it but uh, a lot of people moving third to the back end of where they want to draft I'm totally comfortable with it. Uh, you know, uh, no problem with Kamara. Have Zeke a little bit over Kamara. And uh, once I went, uh, once I got that third overall pick, I uh, started off with Zeke. I think he's in for you your Dallas Cowboy fan, Adam. Uh, I think you share, uh, you know, a love for him this year as well. I love what I see. Um, you know, him dropping the weight, is getting his offensive line back in, in, in hole, getting Dak as his quarterback back. Think it's an explosive top three offense in football i think he is the uh you know the focus of it and uh, i see very high upside touchdown wise um he's he's you know he gets it done in the pass game as well drop off to, from his best friend dak prescott i really don't see any um you know and i really don't see any negatives with zeke And I and i'm trying to make a concerted effort this year more than in the past to play it very safe in the first round, no matter where I am on in the first round, I want my safeness. Some people are a little scared of Zeke, I think because of the Tony Pollard uh, effect and thinking that, you know, Pollard is going to cut into his workload a lot. Pollard is very talented. I don't think he's going to cut in big time for Zeke, And I think Zeke's going to have plenty of uh, monster games, um, you know, uh, all season long, and I just love him. There's not many negatives.
0: I think the people who are against Zeke will say the wear and tear from college and the NFL uh, mm-hmm. that will say he's declining. But I'm not. I'm not counting last year. I don't see how you can count last year. Me against Zeke, it makes no sense. The offensive line was decimated by injury. Dak Prescott got hurt in game five. Zeke yeah. had COVID. He wasn't in great shape. He definitely looks in better shape this year, and he's been durable his entire career. I mean, the games he missed were suspension and he missed one game last year, one in 18. So if you, yeah, you look at his numbers from when he started in the league, but even 2 let's look at 2019, you're not going to take thirteen hundred fifty-seven rushing yards, 12 touchdowns, and then 54 receptions, 420 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, that's what I look at, right? That's what I look at. I throw
1: out last year. It was a complete mess. Take away the quarterback. Offensive line was losing, you know, guys by the by the minute. I throw I throw last year completely out. Now, if I didn't see that motivation, the the commitment from him with the the off season, if I didn't see the highlights and the and the clips, you know, these last couple months of looking how fast and 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 good he looks in practice, um, you know, maybe I'd be worried, but I'm not. I, I think I'm getting a true. Workhorse, bell cow in, in Zeke. And uh, I'm more than comfortable taking him off the board at three or four right there. Um, and and to back that point up right there, Adam, you know, people want to say that about Zeke, about all oh, the injury, about, you know, stuff like that. Well, why are we so confident in Dalvin Cook? You ever watched Dalvin Cook these last couple of years? Every time he gets hit, it's slow off the ground. He's got that shoulder two years in a row. I mean, Dalvin Cook gets nicked up here and there um you know I don't think he's the safest and then look at Christian McCaffrey when was the last time Christian McCaffrey was fully healthy so they
0: yeah all these running backs in the first round have some type of issue so Mm -hmm. uh and Zeke last year the four full games with Dak 23 receptions those first four weeks and four touchdowns in four games and they were feeding him near the goal line so how many catches you you think Zeke can have this
1: year? Because I see those numbers in those first five games, like you just said, and I say that's what I'm basing this season, and the reason why I'm in on him is I'm not judging games five through the rest of the season. I those not I don't first see how you games. can.
0: It was a completely different, utter disaster of an offense.
1: Yes. So that's that's the reasoning for my pick there uh, with with Zeke.
0: Now, you said you're looking for more high floor this year in the first round. I want to talk about a player that, to me, I see people either love him or they don't even think he's a first-round pick, and that's Nick Chubb. And yeah. he P- PPR formats, people say, well, he doesn't catch the football. To me, he's a poor man's Derrick Henry. He's one of the – you could say he might be the best pure rusher in the NFL when you watch him. He breaks big plays. I've taken Nick Chubb even in PPR formats like mid-first round, late-first round. Uh, where are you on Nick Chubb?
1: I am right there with you. Um, I love the Nick Chubb debate all these last couple months. Uh, I think it's I, I think it's pretty funny and I have a lot of drafts coming up. So, uh, you know, Nick Chubb to me is one of those people that I think is uh, pretty mispriced on the draft board this season. I, I have a whole bunch of drafts these last couple of months where I routinely get Nick Chubb. 16 17 18 overall off the board and each time i shake my head like i must be missing something because i think you hit it right there adam with the poor man's derrick henry but when you when you talk about nick chubb what's the first thing that comes up he's got kareem hunt right and kareem hunt's gonna you know chip into his workload and you know, he's Kareem Hunt's a stud and 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 Nick Chubb, you know, all these other backs don't have a Kareem Hunt on their team. And Nick Chubb doesn't catch the ball. You know, those are the negatives. But if I was looking at the player, I'd say a couple things. OK, number one, he's got the best offensive line in football, in my opinion. Number one. OK, he's got a team that I think is an 11 or 12 win team this year. So now we're talking games where you have the lead more in the second half, not based on the Cleveland Browns of these last couple of years where they're a dumpster fire. They started getting good last year, but now we're talking a way better team, a way better offense, playing with the lead. That's more carries for Chubb. The last month of the season, we saw that Nick Chubb was getting more involved in the pass game. So he's no slouch. He can, add, he can catch two or three balls. They've even had camp reports of saying that they're making a concerted effort to get the ball in Nick Chubbs. You can't be so one-dimensional where it's, all right, Kareem Hunt's in there on third down, or Kareem Hunt's in there, so it's going to be a you know passing play, and Nick Chubbs in there, so they're not going to throw the ball to they their running back out of the backfield. Chubb can chip in, I think, with 30, 35 catches this year. The upside for touchdowns is out of the ceiling, I think, for Nick Chubb. I think he can approach high teens to 20 touchdowns this year a la derrick henry and i think he can make a run of 2000 rushing yards this year but here's my thing if kareem hunt everybody always talks about if nick chubb goes down right. kareem that's hunt should be a first round draft pick that's what every fantasy analyst to says but i never every year if kareem hunt goes down where is nick chubb on the board right because to me he's number two all, off my board if kareem hunt Tears his ACL in practice today. I'm taking Nick Chubb, number two, off the board, and I'll think about taking him number one overall. How about
0: that? Because Chubb, like you said, he can catch the football. We've seen it. They just don't utilize him in that fashion. Chubb played 12 games last year. He scored in nine of them. And here's the thing, too, that's important. The game script and the team. I think the Browns are really good. I think they have a shot at getting to the Super Bowl this year. So if you think they're going to be playing from ahead, then – so, Chubb played in 12 games last year, four losses. Week one's an outlier. They lost to Baltimore 38 to 6. He had 10 carries, 60 yards. Okay. Do we really see them getting blown out like that many times? No. Okay. So, I'll forget about that one. They lost 47 uh, 42 against Baltimore, that memorable Monday night game uh, where Lamar Jackson had the mud butt. Uh, 17 carries, 82 yards, two rushing touchdowns. So, high scoring game. Already got it. Lost to the Jets. Uh, In week 15, he had 11 carries, 28 yards, saved his day with a touchdown, had five catches for 38 yards, which we don't see much. I don't remember if Kareem Hunt was out for that game or if they were just playing from behind. But you see that there weren't many games last year where he was scripted out because they won so many games. And I think it's going to be the same this year where they play from ahead. He's going to get his carries. But yes, I understand the floor is lowered in a PPR. But if you think the Browns are going to be good and be playing from ahead, it shouldn't be that much of a problem. It shouldn't be that much of a
1: problem. And when people always say that to me with, with Chubb, um, you know, the half point PPR and, uh, you know, like a timeshare, everything. I just said, well, what about the the difference of, you know, making up for catches in touchdowns and in yards, you know, like. Five point yards per carry in his career, four, man. Yeah, I could see him running for three, four, five hundred more yards this year with the lead and everything. And think about all those games that he missed, and then you know playing from behind. You know, I could see, like I said, I could see eighteen touchdowns, twenty touchdowns. If you're taking Derrick Henry in the top five, well, you have to be able to make that argument for Nick Chubb. I'm sorry, that's the way I see it.
0: The one difference I will say is Derrick Henry has the ability to get. 350 carries if he can hold up mm-hmm. i don't know if chubb could get there i mean two years ago he played 16 games he had 298 so slight different that's the only thing i would say which is why
1: well that's below. the that's
0: built into the discount honestly, right right that's yes. it, that's it why you get nick chubb mid-second
1: round and derrick henry's a top five is because henry doesn't have the competition but um you know we we made the argument both ways i think right there
0: yeah, I mean, I I, get, I see the other side of it, but I think people are on that side a little too heavily, you know yeah. that that uh, that that and that Chubb can produce. And I think people hate to say, well, I don't want to rely on touchdowns. Well, the point is, like, <laughs> Chubb's going to score, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, it, it, with he had twelve last year in twelve games, and great offensive line. They want to run the football, so that he's going to score touchdowns.
1: I can understand it. And then when you make the argument like, all right, listen, so we got Austin Eckler, first rounder. He catches the ball. Jonathan Taylor's got the backfield to himself, can also catch the ball. Uh, You know, then you hit on the Aaron Jones, same thing, Uh, you know, stud in a great offense, catches the ball, Antonio Gibson. So in full point PPR leagues like the high stakes market is, everybody wants those running backs that catch the ball, you know. So I understand why Nick Chubb goes a little later than that. It's just I don't know if it should be that big of a difference because of what Chubb brings to the table in terms of the touchdown and rushing, you know, upside.
0: Are there what player really worries you in the first round that you're shying away from or you have found yourself not taking in any draft so far? Uh,
1: can I say Travis Kelsey or does that not count?
0: Um, Yeah, that counts. He's been he's generally a first round and pick everywhere.
1: His ADP is nine. Um. I think we've talked about our, our, um, you know, uh, desire to stay away from starting with a heavy tight end build right off the bat. Uh, But not only that, 32 years old this year, Adam, a lot of wear and tear on him. You see him getting a little banged up. He takes monster hits. He's a big dude. Um, You know, we all want a piece of that Chiefs offense, but I can see it going uh i could see him missing time this year um i just don't want to start my draft off with a 32 year old tight end that's just played two or three consecutive seasons of a ton of extra games playoff wise you know two straight trips to the super bowl people have to factor that in right you know extra three four games every year uh when i look down the line if i want to be tight end heavy and, and have a big time stud give me Darren Waller in the third round. Uh, you know, let me target Waller instead of Kelsey two rounds earlier and build a different way.
0: What has been your general philosophy with tight ends this year? Are you trying to get one of those top six or you're just,
1: or is it? it's a great conversation to have, especially right now because my philosophy has actually changed and I'll be honest with you here. It's, um, I, I liked a lot of tight, not a lot. I won't say a lot, but there were plenty of tight ends in different tiers outside of the top six that I liked. Okay, let's put it out there. We're we're talking on the day that Irv Smith just got sent to IR. Oh, I and, liked and Irv, man. Loved Irv, man. I was with you. I loved Irv. Matter of fact, I, I can't even tell you how many shares of Irv Smith I have during you know online championship season that I have to go through my rosters now and make some major changes. Um you know, heading into the season. Irv was a major target of mine. Dallas Goddard all offseason was a major target of mine, but now he comes with some warts, right, because Zach Ertz is back. Um, I won't go through player for player here to save us some time, but, you know, there were tight ends that I was a lot higher on a while back, but now they're all banged up, including Noah Fant. Uh, the top six elite tight ends – how do you want to break them down into the top three elite guys with, with Kelsey, Waller, Kittle, and then the next tier of Pitts, Hawkinson, Andrews? These guys' value, to me, has skyrocketed to get a hold of them. Because I think there's just such a big drop-off now and such a major advantage for the six teams in each league that have those six guys compared to the other six teams that are going to be, which tight end should I play tonight? You know, Maybe there's the Logan Thomases of the world. Guys like that, uh, you're gonna have to go in on the Tanyans and stuff like that. But you don't know. Those these guys could be two for twenty in a particular week. It's gonna be it's gonna be tough when you go up against the wall of guy who's eight for ninety-five in a touchdown, right? Major advantage. So if you would have asked me this question a week or two ago, I would have said, I'm comfortable, you know, waiting on the tight end position. I'll hit on some of those mid round guys and and not blow a top five round pick. But I'm starting to sway to seeing the major value and getting one of the top six guys and and hitting on other positions uh, down the road.
0: Uh, I want to get into your mind of how you build your team last night. You don't have to do the whole roster, but just the early yeah. build. Just kind of take us through your yeah. thought pattern, because I think it's important for people to see how successful players, how they build their team early on. So you started with Zeke at three. How did you follow it up and what were the reasons for the picks?
1: Yeah, so I start off with Zeke uh, at three. That means I'm going to be drafting 22nd overall. It's a nice spot to be in. You could maybe catch one of the what I call top 14 running backs, which all usually go in the you know first two rounds, the top 24 picks. If I could have clipped one of those last three guys, uh, I, I you know I probably would have done it. You very rarely see Clyde Edwards, who is usually that 14th running back right now make it to the third round, but he went, uh, all 14 backs went in the top 21 overall, which means which is fine with me. I can then hit that tier of receivers. We talked about earlier in the show. Um, you know, the Jeffersons, the, you know, AJ Browns, McLaren's, all those guys. Uh, and that's exactly what I did. And so when I'm drafting that, if I can't clip one of those 14 running backs, well, now I'm going to go with the one bell cow system in my brain, off the top of my head I'm gonna I have my Zeke I'm probably gonna go try and get a nice collection of RB2s later on and then I'm gonna build heavy with receiver and and tight end the next five or six rounds and you know it's funny Adam this is a good you know example of you know what I'm talking about my draft last night I have four or five receivers that I really like at that you know between 25 and 35 range and uh, for, I'm sorry, like 25 to 40 range, you know, that's wide receiver heaven right there. And that was my plan. But after I get A.J. Brown and I come back around on third round reversal in the NFFC, I get my Cooper Cup, who who I'm very high on. Uh, he was one of four receivers that I, I liked there. I take him to be my wide receiver, too. I come back around, I get sniped for all those receivers that I, were in that tier for me. And uh, who's sitting there but George Kittle? And and we just talked about how my philosophy is changing to seeing the advantage of having an elite tight end at a top six. Well, it's even more of an elite. Uh, it's even more of an advantage to get one of those top three, in, in my opinion. And that's what I did. I said, all right, I, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to treat George Kittle as my third big pass catcher here, and I'm going to take the value in him. I don't have to worry about the tight end position. For the rest of the draft now, I, I took him at 39 overall. And I said, I'm just going to keep building on my wide receivers uh, down
0: the road. And, and that's what I did. Yeah, I found myself doing that too in the last few drafts. I have a Darren Waller, I have a Kyle Pitts. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to reach on them. But if I feel like, hey, This is the best player on the board. I'm going to take that shot. And like you said, you know, when you take a Darren Waller now, you're like, all right, I don't need to worry about my backup tight end till late. So let others take all those tight ends off the board. And, you know, you take someone later if you want to get a backup in a 20 round draft. So Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, it's really kind of changed how we view the tight end position. And that's the point. Like you said, if we would have asked you a week ago, it would have been different you've got to follow everything that's going on see the trends and adjust accordingly i mean you have to do that in an auction by the second um, yes so but but that's the key is adjusting to everything that's going on you could have an idea of what you want to do in early august but as we are here now in early september and these big drafts are going off you definitely have to adjust to what's going on so real yeah. quick before we let you go so you, you have mm-hmm. this super and you mentioned like you guys really know each other pretty well I, i'm sure many of the players are the same for years. So what's that like? You guys are all putting up big money. You know each other. I'm sure they know who you like in each other. Like, how does that work out? Does it make it even more challenging? Uh, you know, how does that work out? It's, uh,
1: yeah, you, you know, you're right. By the time you get to that table and and you've drafted up against these guys, uh, you know, for a couple months now, you know, you see their boards, you see uh, what they like to do, who their main guys are, you know, like, okay, this, you know, player, a, sitting in, you know, the, the seventh seat, always main targets, you know, this receiver and then this running back in the fifth and sixth round, like everybody at that table is going to know. So it's just a matter of, are you high on that player just as much as he is? Because then you have to jump them. So there's so much strategy that goes on. It's, you know, it's it's not as simple as just sit down and just, okay, it's my turn to pick and this is the, part you're constantly thinking like, all right, I love these two players, I know they, one of them might go a little later, but I'm not getting him because you know, this guy's sitting in seat three, this guy's sitting in seat five. And I know that that player is a favorite of both of them. And they're not coming And that player's not coming back to me. And I got to take him here if I really want him. So there's a lot of that that goes on uh, in all of our minds at that draft table, a lot of strategy um, and that's it. And you know, it's another thing. Everybody's always planning on what pick they want. Hoping, you know, and then waiting to see where everyone else is sitting. And then you have to go build out your
0: plan from there and adjust on the fly. So I'm sure many of you might have similar mentality. So what if there's a player that really no one likes Mm -hmm. and he keeps falling and falling and it's two rounds below his ADP and you don't like him either? Do you say, man, he's fallen too far. It could be wrong. Do I take him where you go? No, I (laughs) just was not a fan of him. I'm going to keep letting him slide. Million-dollar question right there, right?
1: Do you do you take a player, even though you don't love him, just because he should have went a couple rounds ago? I always shy away from that. That's not my thing, Adam. I I will just keep letting it go. I'm not going to sit there in, in a big league, and then all season long go, I knew this guy was a turd. <laughs> I didn't want him. I didn't care that I'm in the eighth round, and he goes in the fifth, and I hated him all year long, and now I have him, and he sucks, you know? Uh, so I'm not that type of person. A lot of people, isn't that like the hardest thing though, right? Isn't that the hardest thing to do as drafters when you're at a draft table and you're like, mm, is everyone else seeing this? This guy shouldn't be there or, or do all 12 of us really not like this player? And it's going to happen with like a Miles Sanders this year, you so know, Josh Jacobs, maybe Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders and, and Adam, I don't know if we have the time, but, but You know, that running back dead zone that everybody's been talking about for months on on fantasy Twitter. Well, guess what? That dead zone in that fourth through sixth rounds is now getting clustered with a whole bunch of running backs. And even running backs that were going in the 80s and 90s are starting to move up, a la Damian Harris. You know, so those middle rounds are making it more intriguing for, for teams to build heavy wide receiver teams and go zero RB is because... You don't need to be in love with a Miles Sanders or Josh Jacobs, right? If you're a zero RB guy, you could start off with three monster receivers, even four, and then be sitting there in the fifth and sixth rounds, and you put together a Miles Sanders, Damian Harris, or a Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs, RB one and two. They're not the stars of your team. You're going to get carried by your monster wide receivers that are giving you 20 plus points every week. But if here we go. If Sanders and Jacobs are chipping in, 12 to 17 points every week. Well, hey, they might not be your guys, but they're getting the job done for you. So those middle rounds, the old, you know, running back dead zone is, is is becoming a lot more intriguing. The Mike Davises of the world, we all know the names, you know. And there's some upside in there, too, with the Javante Williams and Trey Sermons. So a lot of options for heavy wide receiver drafters
0: uh, early on. Yeah, I did my... NFFC online draft Monday and this was before Cam Newton was cut and I needed Damian Harris to really make my team pop as the Mm RB two in round seven. So I was at seven, three, he went seven, two. So yeah, yeah, it's going to happen though. When you jump in these waters, bro, you know, that's going to happen. I'm sitting, I'm like, Oh, if I get Damian Harris, this team is going to look really good because I got pits early went uh, one running back got four receivers. So yeah,
1: but well, now. let me let you know. Uh, let me, you know, you brought him up. Let me, I jumped him last night because I just told you about the build that I that I went with with Zeke as my RB one. Well, I knew, okay, I'm going wide receiver, and and once I got Kittle, I obviously have an elite tight end, and I went receivers after that. But I'm in the three hole, so I'm drafting fifty eight and sixty three. Right in, in the in the um fifth and sixth rounds well if i don't get a solid rb2 at 63 overall well i'm not drafting again till 82nd overall and there's really nobody left now at 63 so what am i doing and there was only two running backs left on the board right there that are going to play significant amounts and then you start hitting you know slow i said that's going into the draft 62 63 overall that's damian harris all day for me as my rb2 and, uh, you know, he hasn't gone that high lately, but with the news breaking that day, I said, all right, I'm going to set the tone and, and set the, uh, you know, the ADP right there. And I think from now on, you'll be seeing Damian Harris go late 50s, early 60s, mid 60s uh, in these high stakes draft, because after that, after the top 22, 23, 24 running backs
0: it starts getting a little scary, right? Yeah. Do you think he's rising too much or does he depend on the build? Like your build where you say you have Zeke, that three down back, that's going to get a huge workload. So, you know, if he lives up to your expectations, you're good. So Mm -hmm. do you expect me? Is it because of the build? Because, you know, Harris more than likely is not going to catch a lot of passes, could score double digit touchdowns. James White's there. Stevens is there. So does he goes back to roster construction? Does he depend on the roster construction of potentially taking him a little bit earlier?
1: Yes, 100 percent. Definitely does. And sure, is he getting a little inflated now with the news and everything? Yeah, maybe. But you know what? To get a running back that's going to get 15 plus carries a game and, and behind a great offensive line. I think the Pats are you know a top six offensive line in football. Their philosophy should be to ground and pound with a rookie quarterback. There's a lot of pluses now for being Damian Harris. Sony Michelle is obviously out of town here. I know we a lot of people love the you know the, the Ramondre Stevens kid, but Stevenson kid, but you know, he's to me a backup, you know. This is the Damian Harris show. And to get him as an RB2 on a on a elite bell cow build and have heavy wide receivers and, and an elite tight end, yeah, that's my RB2. That's who I, you know, that's who I was focused in on. I mean, let me ask you, uh, Adam. You know, it was Harris and it was Daryl Henderson on the board, sixth round. And then after that, I'm saying I'm talking major drop off. You know, we got into just major drop off. So who would you have taken at at
0: that point as uh, your RB2 in that particular build? I would have probably leaned Henderson, but it's a little Mm -hmm. bit more dicier with him because we just don't know. So that's what happened. So I was there in the sixth round at six, nine Henderson went and I'm ten and i was going to take henderson and then i was like all right i'll come back and get david harris but i should have just taken him at 610 instead of waiting cuz he went one pick before me but i yeah. went odo, odo beckham instead okay I, I think i think that um
1: both of these running backs have the you know the different view, outlook now you know everybody's well, so high on harris always everybody's always so down hard. on henderson Right. and, and you know and I think both sides are probably a little carried away, uh, you know, on, on both ends.
0: Yeah, I think with Harris, you know what his role is going to be. And you've seen him look good with Henderson. You not sure because they brought in Sony Michel mm-hmm. and maybe people think, Well, Henderson might be more involved in the passing game, I mean, although we did see Sony Michel in the preseason able to catch the football. It's just he never played that role in New England. So it look it those are the backs you're going to look at, though, in this format when you go the wide receiver heavy, although they're moving up. You know, yeah. I, I think Harris, definitely, you're not getting him in the seventh round anymore. Again, this no. draft was Monday, and the announcement for Cam, I think, was Tuesday. So that's why.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a, you know, it's a top, Harris is a top 70 guy. Now, you could ask me, is it smarter in that build to go, um, you know, with a solid guy like Harris, who I think he's a solid guy, you know, he'll be there, he'll, you know, 80, 80 to 100 rushing yards, 75 to 100 rushing yards each week on 15 plus carries and then the hope of a touchdown, you know, the pass catching uh, ability, or do you go with a full blown upside, let's go and trade, try and take down the whole tournament with a Trey Sermon, you know, that's a question that, that you know, could be asked right there. But, you know, for, for that particular team and build, I liked everything else. I liked the way the team was going. I said, let me get my points uh, as a solid RB too.
0: Chris, man, I could talk to you for days. We always have great conversation, but <laughs> I know really we both have, have things to do. Uh, but let people know where they can follow you and find your work and what you'll be doing for the football season.
1: Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, Chris Vicaro GST. You could read all my work every week at The Athletic and uh, you could uh, you know hear me, um, my weekly podcast. With uh, Brandon Mary Ann Lee and Nando Defino.
0: Hey guys. Hey guys uh, I'm, here. I'm at Chris's house just listening uh, in the
1: background. You know Rhoda always has gotta
0: steal the spotlight for me.
1: You know who I think is my sleeper this year? Tavon Austin.
0: Oh wide Tavon. receiver
1: one season. He's Coming a stud.
0: I mean, whenever you can get a little wide receiver, you gotta pump him up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh so yeah you can catch our podcast uh you know each week on the athletic and uh catch me
0: in the uh, high stakes uh streets yeah definitely check out chris's bar the Greenwich street tavern if you're in the tribeca area i'm not saying it because i'm friends with him but great food great place to watch games outdoor seating now too Absolutely. still have that right Absolutely, and it's perfect time of the year. Nice fall. We got
1: college football and pro football. Obviously NFL kicking off, So uh, we got seventy seats
0: outside, come through TVs outside, everything, so we're rocking. All right, make sure you check Chris McCar out, all his work, follow him, listen to the podcast. That wraps it up here on Annie Up, and I will catch you guys tomorrow.